From Cobalt at Home, this is Humans of InfoSec, a show about real people, their work, and its impact on the information security industry. My name is Caroline Wong, and I'd like to introduce today's guest, my friend and colleague, Soledad Antelada Toledano. Soledad is a computer systems engineer at the Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory, a national lab operated by the University of California at Berkeley that conducts scientific research for the United States Department of Energy. She works on the network security architecture and cybersecurity program design to secure and monitor multiple high-performance computing systems. Soledad is an expert in security network architecture, pen testing, threat awareness, proactive network traffic analysis, incident response, and forensic analysis, as well as she promotes a strong security culture through technical security consulting. She studied computer science in Spain, where she was a software developer for eight plus years before moving to the United States and beginning work with the cybersecurity group at Berkeley Lab in 2011. She also shares her expertise generously with the community by chairing different industry groups, and she's received many awards for her work. I was introduced to Soledad by my colleague and friend, Elizabeth Ramirez. Soledad, welcome to our podcast. Hi. I'd really like to know, what were you like as a kid? What was your childhood like? Um, So I grew up in the south of Spain, in Malaga, in a town that is called Marbella, mm-hmm. where I actually am here. I'm talking to you from Spain now. Oh, cool. um, as a kid, I don't know. I was, I think pretty much as I am now, very interested in science and uh, very curious. And I was that type of kid in school. I don't know, always like looking for something to do, quite active, uh, but in school, mostly interested. I was a science kid, basically. Yeah. And when you were a kid growing up in Spain, where you are right now, did you have any exposure to computers? Not really. Um, I would say not at, at all. Yeah, I didn't know what computers were uh, till I got into college, mm-hmm. basically. So I had no idea about computers much less coding or any of that, Mm -hmm. right? I guess I thought, you know, everybody thought at the time that, you know, computers was something like boys were doing and playing with, you know, video gaming and things like that. Um, And it never crossed my mind to have a computer or to ask for one or even get interested in computer science. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. You, you didn't see that on TV. You know, they didn't see girls playing with computers at all. Like, I had no clue mm-hmm. what, of what I was doing when I got into college, basically. Mm-hmm. And you chose to study computer science. How did you make that decision? That was kind of like a little bit of, um, you know, last minute decision mixed with uh, what can I do, you know, that sounds interesting. So, but that time, uh, I think this is like, I don't know, I don't even know how many years ago, but I don't know, 20 or something or more. You know, computer science sounded like something that it was going to be 
the thing mm-hmm. in the future that everybody needed to know and it was going to be, you know, the career of the future. And everybody kind of was saying that at the same time, I wasn't sure what to do with, uh, in terms of, you know, academically. I really liked science and math, but I didn't feel like becoming a scientist or, I don't know, math teacher or something like that. Mm -hmm. So I thought that uh, computer science was something that it looked uh, challenging enough for me. And I, I kind of like really jumped in and, you know, I took a leap of faith, basically. Mm-hmm. And it was really worth it, I have to say. Yeah, that's, that's pretty incredible. I think that as I've been getting to know you, one of the things that I've learned about you is that you have an intense curiosity. Uh, and also yeah. that you really have no fear of trying something new, uh, which I admire very much. And so I understand you. that you studied computer science in Spain. Later, you came to the U.S. to pursue additional education in cybersecurity. Uh, yeah. And I wonder if you can tell me what that was like for you and, what, and how your experiences studying in Spain and studying in the, in the United States, maybe how those, those were different for you. Um, so... The way I came across uh, cybersecurity was the same way I came across computer science. It was something I didn't know about. I, I, ha- I had no clue. There was, you know, a lot of talking about cybersecurity, not in actually in the media or anything. Nobody was talking about that 10 years ago, right? But I knew it existed. I knew some people knew about it. And I was like, well, I want to know. So I think that... That was the way I got interested in. It turned out, turned out that once I, I, studied, I started studying uh, cybersecurity, it, well, it was way easier for me that when I started with uh, computer science because I already had an experience, right? And I, I was already a software developer and I already had an engineering mi- mindset. So it was way easier to get um, the knowledge. And I really liked computer science and, and being a developer, but I have to say uh, it was, it became a very static profession for me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my, I'm a type of person that is very dynamic. I need to do uh, several things at the same time and that type of thing. So I found what I really, really uh, liked once I got into cyber. So it took me a lot of years to find it, but I kind of say that I found my passion and I was very happy and I really, really enjoy it. And I, yeah, and I really enjoy it till now. So that's, that's so cool. kind of the, yeah, that's kind of the story. What do you like about it? <laughs> That exactly what I just say that is dynamic. Yeah. So it's a field that is dynamic. You need to know about a lot of things. You never get to master it. There's always someone that knows more than you. It's a field that you can find people actually always that you can learn from. And it's not boring. Yeah. 
which that is the is most important sure. thing for me. <laughs> That's for yeah. sure. And so I understand you were studying at City College. You got an internship to Lawrence Berkeley National Lab. Tell me a bit about the type of work that you do there. Well, this has been a journey. So for a lot of years, I was a part of the LVNL operations cybersecurity team. And my main uh, tasks there were uh, doing um, penetration testing, vulnerability assessment, and incident response, among other things. But those were my main tasks. And I recently, since I I became more in touch or related to HPC and supercomputers, I moved to another job inside of Berkeley Lab at NERSC which is the National Energy Research Scientific Computing Center. It's a long name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's the, that's uh, the primary scientific computing facility for the Office of Science in the U.S. Department of Energy, which is inside Berkeley Lab. So I'm in the same organization, but in a different uh, division now. Mm-hmm. And I belong to the cybersecurity team there. Mm-hmm. You know, as I was preparing uh, to have this conversation yeah. with you, I actually find myself learning a lot about high-performance computing, uh, which is not an area that I'm super familiar with, you know, so I'm learning about these terms, you know, TBPS, terabytes per second, and exascale, and exaflops, you know, one billion, billion calculations per second. And can you tell me a little bit about Okay, so my my impression is, you know, you're at this lab, there are all these scientists, and you need these like really high performance supercomputers, and your job is to make sure that it's all secure. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> Not only that, you know, um, it's secure to people that use it, to the research that is done there, and it also protects uh, what we call open science. Because, you know, a facility like NERSC, you know, is used by, I don't know, more than 7,000 scientists around the world uh, doing research on multiple disciplines, you know, like, I don't know, climate modeling, materials, simulations of the universe, you know, things like that. And it's a facility that is not only very well known as the best run scientific computing facility in the world, but what is unique about that is that it provides, how do I say that? Uh, like the state of the art scientific development environment mm-hmm. for you know the diverse community of scientists, yes. right? It's not a facility that is just close to just a little bit of a few research projects. It's, it's quite wide open. It's non-classified research. So uh, the cybersecurity mission here is to protect that and enable, actually to enable that, mm-hmm. right? Which is actually sometimes quite difficult or more, more difficult you know, if you have a facility that is closed at the border, you know, it's very easy to spot what is coming in and out, yes. right? 
Yes. But when you have something that is open and thousands of people connecting around the world, everybody doing different things, you have to uh, have very different techniques and methods and monitoring and things like that to, act, to actually spot something that is not supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. Makes mm-hmm. sense? Yeah, it does. That's really cool. You know, I think about the users that you support. Obviously, these are very smart, very creative people. And I expect that in your role, of course, you want to enable and allow them to do anything that they need to do uh, in order to, you know, continue their research project, you know, achieve that next scientific breakthrough. And, you know, you and I were talking to each other at a very interesting moment in time, of course. And I'm curious to know if any of the scientists that you work with and support, uh, if you have any insight into any COVID-19 related projects uh, that the scientists may be working on. Yeah, sure. Just pointing out that also, you know, this all this work in cybersecurity uh, around uh, this area that I'm working on, it has to be transparent, mm-hmm. right? To users and people that is using the supercomputers and the network. Uh, of course, there's policies and stuff, but um, the point is not to disturb the research at all. And right now, NERSC is participating in the COVID-19 High Performance Computing Consortium. This is like once in a lifetime thing that is, has came up because the pandemic we are going through. And this is a unique private public effort that brings together industry, academic leaders, the federal government, and they volunteer free compute time and resources to scientists and researchers that are, you know, doing research related to COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very special moment. That's so cool. And, and another thing that you have a position at is you're also the chair of network security at the supercomputer conference. Can you tell me a little bit about what is the supercomputer conference? How does it work every year? Sure. Um, so SC, uh, which is SC20 uh, this year, is the International Conference for High Performance Computing, Networking, Storage, and Analysis. For friends and family, it's super, just supercomputing, the supercomputing conference. Um, so this is a, a supercomputing conference in the U.S. that is held every year in November in a different city. Um, This year is in Atlanta. And I'm chairing the network security team for Signet. And Signet is a high capacity network that gives support to the supercomputing conference. So during the week of the supercomputing conference, Signet becomes the most powerful and advanced network in the planet. So it's kind of like a model network that pushes the boundaries of networking every year and provides like a state-of-the-art networking uh, architecture, which is kind of like um, ahead of time, right? It's like seeing the future. 
So it's pretty cool. So every year industry, academia, again, government experts, they volunteer the time uh, to design and build and, and run uh, this cutting edge uh, signed uh, infrastructure. And it actually takes one year to design and build. And for run it only for one week. And then it takes one day to take it down. Yeah. And then after that, you start all over again for next year. It's so, so yeah. cool. Yeah. So last year we achieved network capacity of uh, more than four terabits per second, which is a lot. And that's the fastest network in the world right now. So for you, for you to have an idea of what that means, it's like you, if you have that kind of bandwidth, uh, you will be able to download the whole Netflix catalog of movies in HD in 45 seconds. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that yeah. really does make it real. <laughs> like how big is it? Yeah, I really like, like to uh, put that example. So everybody gets like, okay, I get it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what, yeah. Sorts of, what sorts of capabilities do the scientists and the researchers of the world expect? What sorts of problems can be solved using this, this level of supercomputing power in the future, do you think? Um, not only in the future, I mean, uh, in the present. I mean, actually, the future is the world because what you can do in these supercomputers are simulations, right? Mm, so. Cool. It's like having thousands, thousands and thousands of regular computers uh, working together. And there's a lot of simulations about, it can be a sickness, right? Mm -hmm. um, trying to achieve a, a vaccine for um, some sickness or studying, I don't know, proteins or, you know, studying the universe or, or the climate change. So in actuality, uh, the supercomputers are using are used for this type of um, research. Yeah, that's so cool. And so yeah. I understand that part of your role, uh, you know, you are you are the chair of network security, and so you've got fifteen engineers uh, that are yeah. working each year uh, to create this you know supercharged network that will be available for one week, uh, yeah. and so. Like 15 engineers, that's a lot of engineers. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about a network that is worth $80 million. Mm -hmm. So that is huge. Uh, so the network security, part of that is also pretty big in terms of equipment and, you know, top of the mark devices and um, network security um, infrastructure. Uh, we do a lot of passive monitoring and security analysis. We don't only need hardware, but we need people, right? Not only uh, for the analytics part of it, but, you know, to uh, design and help build the network. So, yeah, a lot of people is needed. 
So and that's the other thing. There's always, there's going to be a need for people anyways. Um, since, uh, you know, cybersecurity is, tr is trying to, uh, you know, um, go more and more into automation, the future of big data and things like that with AI coming up. Um, there's a lot of research in that field, but you are always going to need people and security people that is um, skilled enough, which is unfortunately not that very easy to find. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, certainly in cybersecurity, uh, we have a, a talent shortage, we have a pipeline problem, uh, and I am not personally as close to areas like machine learning and AI, uh, but I expect that may be the case in those areas as well. Yeah, that's a, that's a really new field. I don't think there's only a bunch of people around the world that actually master the state of the art of it. I'm talking about AI, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, there's going to become a problem. And the cybersecurity shortage is, I mean, the gap is increasing instead of the other way around, right? So uh, it's something that, you know, the security teams are around the world are worried about. And we keep talking about it and we keep asking, you know, for um, more attention to this problem, but... Um, Unfortunately, I think that ship has sailed. Mm -hmm. Is that the correct expression? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, like it's left <laughs> harbor, right? You know, the, the, yeah. the situation, it's already happening. And, and right now, you know, we cannot save it. it it's just a matter of catching up. Um, exactly. And, and I understand, Soledad, you're also involved in, uh, you know, teaching girls more about, you know, this in order to, you know, really try and get in front of the problem. You know, you mentioned when I asked you about your own childhood, you didn't really have much exposure to computers. Even video games were something that, you know, this was more of a thing that was exposure for boys uh, rather than girls. And so I'm curious to know about your efforts in this type of activity as well. So what I'm doing now mostly, or my main work towards that issue is I'm also chairing WINS. Mm -hmm. Which is women in IT networking at uh, supercomputing. That is a program that is seeking qualified female candidates in their early to mid career, more or less, to join the Signet volunteer uh, workforce for the SC conference. So each year, this is a grant, and each year, selected candidates they uh, receive a full travel support and mentoring by all the well-known engineering experts that work at Signet, creating uh, this supercomputing uh, high-capacity network. And that's what I'm doing um, this year. So I'm supporting that program. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. But I, I think it's neat. I mean, the diversity issue in tech, let's say that, but especially in fields like networking and cybersecurity are very um worrisome because there's this i think there's a gap there it's like it's just that there's no women mm -hmm. it's not even a gap 
<laughs> right. <laughs> right. It's just a, just a total, you know, lack. It's a black hole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Ladad, we've talked a lot about your very technical work. And I'm also curious to know, as you've had your career in this laboratory environment, what does security culture look like in a place like this? Um, the security culture looks, it's a very particular one, right? In terms of, I'm not sure what you're interested in knowing, but in terms of, you know, security mindset, it's very specific, right? Uh, when you have a security mindset, you are definitely a type of person. So I agree with that. So best security engineers are very, you know, detail-oriented, not kind of humble in a way, I will say, that I know a lot of people that they know so much but they could be, you know, way more arrogant that, than they are. I mean, the more humble a, a cybersecurity engineer is, the better the person is for sure. We are used to, you know, stay calm when the rest of the world gets very nervous about mm -hmm. something. Mm -hmm. Right? Uh, because you, you have to stay focused and actually, you know, throw a net, bring all the information back and find what's really it's, it's important. Mm -hmm. uh, which most of the times, you know, requires a lot of, you know, focus and not jump into conclusions right away, right? And also a lot of experience, right? Because what it makes you behave that way is experience. If you don't have that, you need to learn it, basically. So that's the thing. So I agree with, with the fact that there's a type for that type of things, right? But there's also a stereotype of how a security person looks like. So, you know, typical engineer with a hoodie or I don't know, whatever that is <laughs> that, you see, that you see in the Mr. Robot yeah. and things like that that I don't watch. But, you know, I don't know. I don't feel in the stereotype. I will never feel in. And I think it, it's important uh, for people like me to bring to the field other people that, are, that have huge potential, but um, they don't feel in the stereotype. Doesn't mean that they are not going to be great cybersecurity engineers. So I think that's a little bit of the problem here in terms of not getting enough people skilled and trained in this field. So we are always in a shortage. Yes. yes. Yeah. I don't know if I answer your question. Yes. Yes. That was, that was perfect. And yeah. um, Soledad, perhaps as the last question for today's session, you strike me as the person, you are always learning, you are always curious. And so I'd like to know, what area do you see yourself learning next? What do you think you'll be working on next? Artificial intelligence is sounded, sounding very, very strongly in my mind right now. And again, something that I have no idea, no clue about it. 
So I'm becoming more and more interested in, and also there's a couple of currents here, right? Actually, in terms of uh, cybersecurity. So one is, you know, people that think, you know, it's becoming the buzzword, you know, like blockchain. Yeah, everybody's talking about AI, but also there's like a lot of research at the university level, government level, and also, you know, in things like intrusion detection system and systems, network anomaly detection and things like that. And it's a fact that handling big data is going to become a problem and networks are expanding and becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. And that creates a lot of data and a lot of traffic that engineers with basic algorithms or typical algorithms right now are not going to be able to uh, handle that type of data. So we need a solution for sure. And I think that's the right direction, but I'm not an expert. I'm just like going with my intuition. So that's it. Very cool. Well, I, for one, am looking forward to watching you from the sidelines uh, as you continue in your work and career. Uh, And I want to say thank you so much today for joining me and for sharing your story with our listeners. Thanks to you, Caroline. It's been a pleasure. Humans of InfoSec is brought to you by Cobalt.io, a pen testing as a service company. Like what you hear? Subscribe, share, or leave a review wherever you enjoy podcasts. And don't forget to say hello. You can find us on Twitter at Humans of InfoSec. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.